Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, today on the podcast, I'm going to do something that uh, I've never done before exactly in this format, and that is I want to talk a little bit about a, an observation, a problem, a situation that I'm seeing in church today, and then I want to ask you uh, to send me your best ideas. You can email me at jefforge at gs.edu, and I'd like for you to respond back to me by telling me uh, some solutions or some ideas or some observations you have about the issue that I'm going to raise on the podcast today. So keep that in mind. I'm not leading to an ultimate conclusion. I'm going to give you some suggestions, and then I want to get your feedback and response. And when you send me those things, I'll collect them up and uh, publish them in some fashion or talk about them here on the podcast, and we'll have a conversation through this means. I want to talk today about the phenomenon of electronic giving and how it has increased during the pandemic, and then I want to talk specifically about what this means for the offering as a part of public worship services. Now, first of all, let me underscore that I am not against electronic giving. I am an electronic giver. Uh, I give electronically to my church. I give electronically to my seminary. Uh, I am an electronic giver. And so I am not in any way uh, criticizing that or saying it shouldn't be done or in any way trying to ask you to move away from that. In fact, uh, electronic giving has proven to be a very valuable asset to the church during the pandemic. Uh, I talked to one church planter, for example, who was about uh, two to three years into their church plant. Uh, their church was doing okay financially. They were receiving offerings every Sunday. Uh, some people were giving electronically, but most people were giving in person. The pandemic hit. And, of course, uh, there is no public worship service for several weeks in this particular setting. Yet the bills go on. And so the church needed to continue receiving offerings, and so it ramped up its electronic giving capacity. It already had it in place, but it certainly increased its publicity and its availability to the people that had been attending. And the pastor very, uh, very appropriately uh, wrote a communication to all the people who had been attending and said, uh, now that we're not meeting weekly, uh, we still need to be responsible for giving and fulfilling our stewardship commitments and supporting the church and doing the ministry that we'll be doing in our community and around the world. And so I'd like to encourage all of you to switch over to electronic giving. Well, to his surprise, the people did it. And in fact, a number of people who were either casual attenders or not even Christians who had been giving only when they were in the building on a particular Sunday signed up to give a certain amount every week. And what happened in this church, and I know this is perhaps not what's happened across all churches, but what happened in this particular church was the giving actually went up. Because people were giving consistently that had been giving sporadically, and because they were giving consistently over the months that the church was not able to meet in person, the giving actually increased. So I am not opposed to electronic giving. I give electronically. I see the value of it. And in fact, during the pandemic, the value of it has only increased. And I predict that in the future, even when public worship resumes and in-person in offerings can be given, 
I predict that many people who've moved to electronic giving during the pandemic will simply continue to do so because of the convenience of giving, the convenience of record keeping, and all the things that go along with the convenience of giving through that means. So, electronic giving is here to stay. Now, what that means is, in a public worship service, there'll be very little offering given. And when you look out in your audience and you see in your congregation a uh, hundred or two hundred people, and you realize that only three or four of them are actually giving money Sunday by Sunday through the means of the past baskets or the past offering plates, it raises the question, what's the point of having the offering? And so I want to talk today about the importance of the offering as a part of worship. And then here's the challenge I want to give you. I want you to send me your best ideas about how to retain the offering as an important part of public worship when no one has an offering to bring because they electronically transferred it the previous Thursday in their electronic giving program. So, the offering has been diminished in the worship services in worship services a long time before the pandemic. Uh, offerings started being diminished in worship services uh, a number of years ago. In the 1980s, there were several scandals related to ministry leaders and money. And because of that, many churches took a step back and de-emphasized receiving offerings because they didn't want to associate themselves with these high-profile public scandals that were all about the money. Churches reacted by saying, we're not all about the money. In fact, we're even going to minimize the offering on Sunday by making it a minor part of what we do or even not, e not mentioning it as part of the service or creating an alternative way to give by putting baskets at the doors or even making an announcement like this. Uh, if you're here today as our guest, we don't expect you to give. Those kinds of things were all a result of the televangelism scandals related to money in the 1980s. Then we moved into the 1990s, and the seeker-sensitive worship movement caused leaders also not to focus so much on money, recognizing that many people who were coming to these seeker-sensitive churches were not Christians, and they didn't want to create money as a barrier to their conversion or to their coming to hear the gospel, and so the offering was removed from worship or minimized again in ways to keep it from being a distraction or an impediment to people coming to church or coming to hear the gospel. Uh, another reason that uh, the offering was diminished was because, uh, frankly, the changing expectations of what goes on in a worship service, making worship more of a performance, made the offering a, quote, time waster. So this change to more of a performance-based kind of worship, uh, I think, has been a, to the detriment of the church, but nevertheless, it's, it's happened. And when people come and sit and watch what happens on a stage rather than come and participate with, what's, with, with what they're being led to do in the congregation, naturally, uh, if anything, anything that's done in the congregation that detracts from what's happening on the stage needs to be removed from the service. And so the offering was either removed or diminished or in some way changed because it was a time waster taking the people's attention off of what was happening on the stage and putting it instead of what was happening in the audience. Well, that's a, those are three observational reasons that I have about why the offering has been diminished over time. 
reaction to the televangelism scandals of the 80s, seeker-sensitive movement and the rise of that kind of worship in the 90s, and then in the 2000s, the uh, changing expectations of worship as a performance really moved away uh, from, taking, from anything being done in the audience that was a focus of worship. But there's this one other thing that I've just started out the podcast by talking about, which is a fourth factor, and that is the emergence of electronic giving has diminished the offering as an act of public worship. Now, I'll just talk about myself personally. When I go to church and our church receives the offering, um, I just kind of check out because I'm not giving. I didn't bring anything to give. I, I give electronically. It's an automatic thing with me. I'm a very disciplined giver, and so I don't even really think about getting emotionally invested in the giving any longer, and that's to my detriment in some ways. And so the offering for me has become kind of a matter-of-fact, uh, I won't say wasted, but kind of a dead part of the worship service. And I think we've got to reclaim that. I think I've got to be reinvigorated as a worshiper, and I've got to re- figure out a way to reclaim the offering. If I'm going to keep giving electronically, I've got to figure out a way to reclaim the offering as an experience that I have week by week and, it's, and that has a, a spiritual significance to me. Now, why is this so important? Well, there are some reasons why the offering must be reclaimed as an act of worship. Let me give you three. First, offerings are a part of worship in both the Old and New Testaments. When you look at Old Testament worship services and New Testament worship experiences, the offering is frequently, if not often, I can't say always because I'm sure you could find an example or two in the Bible where it's not present, but the offering is, 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 is a very frequent part of public worship or of gathering for worship or of the church coming together for worship or the people of God coming together for worship in the Old Testament. It's hard to preach or teach on worship without referencing offerings. Now, back when I was a pastor, I preached a series of messages. I think it was about 10 or 12. I preached a series of messages on uh, reclaiming biblical worship. And I went through in pretty great detail uh, a lot of the different worship experiences of the Bible and pulled together a lot of different information. And I found myself preaching for two or three of those weeks on the importance of the offering as a part of worship, what it was, why it was done, how it was done, and what it meant. And so when you look at Old Testament and New Testament examples of worship and you try to create a biblical worship experience in your church, you're going to be hard-pressed not to include the offering. The offering is an important part of worship. Now that leads us to the second reason, and that is in Western culture, Money represents life, and it is a powerful symbol of giving ourselves to God. Now, of course, in the Old Testament agricultural economy, people brought offerings of produce and of livestock. That was a representation of their life. The same thing is true today of money. Money represents life. We get paid by the hour. We get paid by the job. We get paid for what we do. And so money comes to symbolize or represent life. It's how we've spent our lives and how we've been remunerated or rewarded for the expending of our lives. Money represents life. And so when we come in a public worship service to make an offering of money, we are uh, making an offering, in a sense, of our lives, of our livelihood, of what our life represents back to God. 
So another reason the offering must be reclaimed as an act of worship is it, it is because it is the primary way we symbolize life and offering life back to God. And then third, the offering must be reclaimed as an act of worship because the offering is a teaching moment. It is a disciple-making moment in a worship service. Now, while I'm asking you to send me your ideas on how to do this, I think this is at the core of what's going to have to be claimed or recaptured or discovered for the future. And that is the offering time is not going to be a time so much for collecting the offering as it is a time for disciple-making about the offering and disciple-making about money and what it means in our lives. So I believe that in the future, the offering is going to be more of a 90-second teaching time than it is going to be a money collection moment. And I want to hear your best ideas about how to make that happen. Now, how can the offering be a disciple-making moment? Well, let me give you some suggestions. First, uh, leaders can remind people that money represents life and giving it is a symbol of giving life back to God. Now, I want you to think of your most creative ways of how you've seen this done or how this can be done and send them back to me. Second, leaders can remind people of the stewardship responsibility to manage their money such that they have some money to give away. So not only does the offering give you an opportunity to teach about life being offered back to God, it gives you an opportunity to teach about stewardship, about making sure that you manage all that God has given you so that you have something to bring back to him on a week-by-week basis. So the offering is an opportunity for disciple-making in relationship to stewardship. Another way the offering can be a disciple-making moment is it can be an opportunity to connect offerings to church ministry being accomplished. Now, there are all kinds of creative ways I can imagine for this to be done. I'm looking forward to hearing what your ideas are about this issue. But there are ways to to create teachable moments in the offering or in the offering time, to show how the offering connects to church ministry being accomplished, either through testimony, through video, through photographs, uh, through, visual, through other kinds of visuals or object lessons. Uh, there are all kinds of ways to connect the offering to church ministry being accomplished, and uh, using the offering as an opportunity to do that is another way to reclaim it in worship. And then beyond that, Connecting, using the offering as a disciple-making moment to connect the offering to global ministry being accomplished can also be done. Uh, For example, uh, connecting the offering to missions support, to church planting in other locations, Uh, using the offering time to accept a Zoom call from a missionary serving halfway around the world and let that person testify of the power of the giving to their lives on a daily basis. These are the kinds of things I'm talking about. And so the offering can be an opportunity to connect a giving to global missions advance. Now, again, what I'm advocating for is this. I believe the offering is a vital part of biblical worship. In the context that we're living in, with the reasons I've already enumerated, the offering has been minimized in public worship today. 
With the advent of online giving and other electronic means of giving, it's simply going to be even less of a focus in the future going forward if we don't figure out ways to reclaim the offering as a vital part of worship that have something to do other than a collection point for the money. And so what I'm advocating for is that the offering can be a teaching moment, a disciple-making moment. More than a money collection moment, it becomes a time of connecting the resources of the church that are being given by all means, a connection of all of those to the mission that's being accomplished both globally and locally, to the stewardship that's being expected and symbolized by the offering, and to life being shared by the offering being given. Now what I want you to do is send me back the best ways you're seeing this done or some creative ways you're trying to accomplish this. Um, I know that other people are thinking about this problem, and I want you to help me solve it. Now, uh, let me just share with you now some things I've seen over the years that have uh, really impressed me and have helped me to really rethink this, in my, uh, this use of the offering. One thing that I've seen uh, done is to celebrate the offering as a part of worship. Now, this gets me off on another subject, which I might do a different podcast on this, but I am so tired of going to churches where the worship is dark and gloomy and myopic and what I call navel-gazing. I just want to yell out sometimes, turn on the lights where we can see each other and where we can experience some celebration in this room together. That's another podcast. But the offering can be a moment of celebration. And I had an experience like this a few uh, years ago in a church that really has stuck with me for some time. I was preaching at a relatively large First Baptist church in a fairly traditional setting in the Midwest. Uh, I was sitting on the front row. They were having the worship service. Uh, It was a good service. They were singing and they were praying and all the things that normally go on for a worship service. And then I noticed in the bulletin that we were coming toward the offering. And so, uh, you know, we're just uh, having the normal service as you would have. And we finished the song, and the pastor stepped up to the microphone and said, First Baptist, it's offering time. And the people erupted in clapping and cheering. It was so stunning, it felt like a wave washing over me on the front row that I literally ducked a little bit and turned around and looked behind me. What was happening? Now, I don't mean that people were acting silly. I mean there was a legitimate swell of applause and shouting of praise to God that they were, getting to, that they were preparing to give an offering. The pastor stepped up and just said those words, First Baptist, it's offering time. And an eruption occurred. Well, he then gave a brief... Uh, discipleship moment of instruction about the importance of the offering and the offering was received and we went on with the worship service. Well, afterwards, uh, I had lunch with a pastor and I couldn't wait to ask him. I said, pastor, I want you to tell me about this offering. He said, what about it? I said, I've never seen anything quite like that. He said, oh yeah. He said, we started this uh, some time ago. He said, I was preaching on biblical worship and I spent several weeks uh, preaching on the importance of the offering and talking about it from the Old Testament and the New Testament and sharing about different ways it had been received and responses people had made. And then we got over to that passage about being hilarious givers. And I made the statement that uh, 
when it was offering time, we should be uh, very effusive in our response. We should be hilarious. We should give claps and praises and, you know, shouts of joy and all of that. Well, he said the next Sunday, to my great surprise, I stepped up and said, uh, First Baptist, it's time for the offering. And the church erupted as a result of the preaching and teaching the previous Sunday. Well, it just became part of who we are. And now every Sunday, I step up and say, it's offering time. And the church responds with this kind of uh, exuberance. And then he said, it's led to an entirely different perspective on how we see what we give away and what we give to God and what we do with that money. And it's been, a big import, it's been an important part of our church. Celebrate the offering. Now, I'm not asking you to do some fake thing like uh, make this happen in your church and, and do it whether it's real or not. No. But find your own unique way to celebrate the offering. That your church has a way of saying, this is how we celebrate the fact that we get to give to God today. Uh, another thing that I've noticed uh, that pastor did, and I've noticed some others doing along the way, is really focusing about a 90-second teaching about finance, stewardship, offering, missions, something like I've already enumerated earlier in the podcast, focusing about a 90-second instruction around the receiving of the offering. Now, this can be done with a, with a, uh, you know, verbally. It can be done with a video. Uh, it can be done with a testimony. It can be done with an interview. It can be done in a lot of different ways. But intentionally deciding that as a part of our offering experience on a Sunday, we're going to have 90 seconds of really focused disciple-making about the offering, about what it does, about what, about what it accomplishes, about how we use it, about the importance of giving it, about what it means in our lives, something. But the offering becomes that teaching moment. Uh, another thing I've seen done that really does uh, bring some focus of disciple-making to the offering is who leads in the offering. Now, unfortunately, uh, I've been in churches where the pastor walks up and says, uh, it's time for the morning offering. Uh, you know, Brother Tom, would you lead us in prayer? And Tom's like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really planning for a layperson or a donor or someone who's been impacted by the offering to stand up and to say a few sentences about why the offering means so much to them, and then to pray for the offering. Now, I saw this done beautifully in one church when it came time for the offering as they were singing the song just before the offering. Uh, a family, a husband, wife, two or three children, came forward and stood together in the, in the front of the church. And when the song concluded, uh, the man picked up a microphone and said, my name is you know, Tom, and this is my wife, Sue, and these are our children. And we've been members of this church for, you know, two or three years, whatever he said. And then he said, and every Sunday uh, when it comes time for the offering, it's our privilege to make a gift to support the ongoing work of our church and all we're accomplishing all around the world. I hope you'll join me in doing the same thing. And then he bowed his head and said a prayer. And I thought, how powerful, how powerful to have someone simply step up and say, this is our church. We're a family that loves it here. We believe in what we're trying to accomplish, and every week we give to support the ministry that we're trying to accomplish. And then those key words, I hope you'll join me in doing the same thing. You know, that was just 90 seconds of powerful, symbolic, insightful teaching 
about the importance of the offering. Well, these are just some ideas I have, some things I've seen, but I know that uh, out there in the podcast listener world that you're probably doing a lot of other creative, innovative things. So let's recount now what we're trying to accomplish today on the podcast. I've talked about why the offering has been diminished and why I think it's going to be even more diminished going forward because of the rise of electronic giving during the pandemic. I've also underscored the importance of the offering in both Old and New Testament worship experiences. You cannot have biblical worship without an offering. You can just find it throughout Scripture. But given the circumstances we find ourselves in today, we're going to have to really be creative about thinking about how to prioritize the offering and make it a meaningful part of worship services when so few people are going to be bringing an offering to give Sunday by Sunday. I've given you some ways that we can convert the offering from a money collection moment into a disciple-making moment, and I really think that's the trend of the direction we have to go in the future to recapture the offering as a vital part of worship. But now I want to hear your ideas. So send me back your best, and I'll put them together and talk about them here on the podcast. Now, let me just conclude by giving you some things that I hope you will definitely not do when it comes to the offering. Number one. Uh, don't skip it. Don't, don't eliminate it from your worship services. Don't, don't think it doesn't matter. It does matter. So don't skip the offering. Second, uh, don't put boxes or baskets in the back or at the doors and tell people if they'd like to on the way out, drop something in the tip jar. I mean, that's kind of how it feels when you do something like that. That's an afterthought. That's if you want to. That's if you don't think it'll be offensive. That's, uh, that's minimizing the offering in a way that I think is inappropriate. Receive an offering and make it a focus of your worship by using it as a disciple-making moment. Don't just stick the baskets at the doors and tell people to tip God on the way out. Don't tell people not to give. Now, I know this is going to be controversial for some of you because you probably like to say something like this. If you're a guest today, please don't feel obligated to give. Why do you say that? Why would you tell people up front, don't participate in this part of our service? Would you tell people, if you're a guest and you don't want to pray, don't pray. If you're a guest and you don't want to hear the sermon, don't listen. If you're a guest and you don't want to sing the songs, don't sing. You don't say any of that. So why do you single out the offering as an act of worship and tell people don't participate? Look, people are well able, well able to protect their own money Believe me, they do not need help saying no to giving to God. So stop saying that. Welcome people to worship and invite them to participate in the worship of God. That worship involves singing, it involves praying, it involves hearing and responding to God's word, and it also involves giving and invite people to participate. And finally, don't make apologetic comments about the church's finances. Look, churches have a legitimate need and a legitimate responsibility and a legitimate opportunity to receive offerings for their work. Account for the offerings that are received and demonstrate how they are being used to make a difference in our world, and you will never again apologize for receiving an offering. Well, these are some of the thoughts I have about the need to increase the, the, the role of the offering in public worship services, some of the challenges we're facing, and a few ideas about how we can convert the offering from a money collection moment to a disciple-making moment. Now, once again, write me back, 
jefforge at gs.edu. Give me your ideas. I'll collect up what you send me. And in a few weeks on the podcast, I'll try to report back some of your best suggestions. Thanks for listening today. Let's reclaim the offering as a part of worship as we lead on.